Hello, everyone. Welcome to another podcast from Cambridge Health Tech Institute. My name is Amit Zand, and I'm an associate conference producer at Cambridge Health Tech, working on the sixth annual summit for clinical operations executives, also known as SCOPE, which runs from February 24th to the 26th in Orlando, Florida. Today, I'm speaking to Dr. Vera Ehrenstein, one of our speakers at the conference. Dr. Ehrenstein is an associate professor at the Department of Clinical Epidemiology and Institute of Clinical Medicine at Aarhus University in Denmark. For the past 12 years, Vera has conducted epidemiologic studies involving large registry-based data sets with special interest in prenatal origins of disease. In her current role, she serves as the coordinator and co-investigator on several multinational post-authorization studies of pharmaceuticals in collaboration with the pharmaceutical industry. She also participated in several international drug utilization and risk minimization studies of anti-diabetic agents commissioned by the European Medicines Agency, or the EMA. At our conference, she'll be speaking in a track titled Managing Late Stage Research, Observational Studies and Registries that provides the attendees with a series of presentations and also a forum to discuss methods for overcoming operational challenges in their observational studies. All right, Dr. Ehrenstein, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. For the first question, I wanted to start with a general comparison between the Europe and the USA market. How different do you think the post-marketing regulatory environment is in Europe compared to the USA? Well, in fact, the two regulatory agencies, the US FDA and the European Medicines Agency, the EMA, have more similarities than they have differences. And that's because they have the same background motivation. The motivation is to identify and to continuously assess risk-benefit profiles of pharmaceuticals. So both agencies recently were compelled largely by several high-profile drug withdrawals to shift their approach from simply reactive collecting of safety data to proactive, database-driven safety surveillance. Both agencies have developed formal strategies to assess and manage risks associated with pharmaceutical use. The main differences really lie in implementation of those mandates and how they choose to communicate the evidence to patients and to providers. The AMA and the FDA may also differ in the types of decisions that they take in response to the safety signals. For example, in response to the finding with increased cardiovascular risk associated with rosaglitazone use. So rosaglitazone is a drug used to treat type 2 diabetes. So in response to some compelling evidence about the increased cardiovascular risk among rosaglitazone users, the European Medicines Agency withdrew the drug from the European market while the FDA left the drug on the U.S. market, although the access to the drug is very much restricted. Finally, it's important to remember that FDA has jurisdiction over a single market in the United States. By contrast, European Medicines Agency oversees a geographic area of 30 different countries. So you can imagine that all the complexity associated with different healthcare systems, medical practices, and many languages. In addition to that, national medicine agencies also have their say, and they also can take independent actions, independent of the European Medicines Agency. The French Medicines Agency, for example, suspended another anti-diabetic drug, pioglitazone, although the jury is not yet out on its risk-benefit assessment. Our department is a member of the EMA-led network for pharmacovigilance and pharmacoepidemiology, and we conducted in response to calls by the EMA several assessments of rosiglitazone, 
pioglitazone and other anti-diabetic medications. And in fact, I'll be presenting those case studies at the SCOPE Summit. Great. So you mentioned that you've been involved with several multinational post-authorization studies in the European market. As our second question, I wanted to ask you a little bit about designing an observational study. And could you tell us a little bit about the scope of the questions or the problems that you think can be solved or prevented with a well-designed observational study? Well, the short answer to that question is, in principle, any epidemiologic question can be answered with a well-designed observational study, including questions about risk-benefit profile of pharmaceuticals. So the emphasis in that question or in that answer is not on observational, it is on well-designed. So a poorly designed or executed randomized trial is not superior to a well-designed observational study. A textbook example that every epidemiologist knows is that everybody believes that smoking causes lung cancer, although it has never been shown in, an, in a randomized trial. So in the field of pharmaceutical risk management, most evidence in fact, in fact comes from observational studies. And that's because randomized trials, the experimental studies in epidemiology, they're too short, they're too selective, and they're too small to answer all clinically relevant questions for all potential users of a treatment. What they can do, they can provide um, initial data on risk-benefit profile of a treatment, and that is often compared with placebo. And they do that in an ideal group of patients. So they're usually restricted by age, by different gender representation. So in fact, randomized trials answer a question, can the treatment work in an ideal set of circumstances or in an ideal patient? In some diseases, randomized trials only provide only limited information about the disease in general. As an example, less than 5% of all patients diagnosed with cancer are enrolled in randomized trials. So it is less, really left to observational studies to answer the question, does the treatment work? and to answer the questions about the risk-benefit profile of a treatment by itself and also compared with other treatments for the same indication and in different groups of patients. We don't always have to choose between the observational and the experimental design and epidemiology. Actually, there are some recent developments that allow so-called hybrid designs that harvest the advantages of both experimental and the observational design. The countries like Denmark are really ideal settings for this type of design because of the centralized treatment, centralized treatment approach where patient can, patients can be randomized into treatment groups. After that, a short randomized trial can be conducted to assess drug efficacy, and then the randomized patients can be followed for many years and for many different endpoints using the routine registries. And in fact, such studies have been published recently. And I think there will be more such studies coming out in the next few years. Going back to the observational studies, you mentioned some of the advantages that an observational study can provide as opposed to other forms of studies. We can talk about the Danish market or the European market. What's your prediction? Do you think the number of observational studies are going to grow or, or decline in the next few years? Oh. Sort of the naive answer to that question, I think, would be that the number of studies would increase because the amount of data will increase thanks to the establishment of several automated databases and systems to link those databases. But I'd like to give you a, maybe a more nuanced response to that question. So both in the U.S. and in Europe, there have been several initiatives to establish and link different existing automated databases. 
and there have been several collaborative developments on both continents to combine data from different databases for the explicit purpose of proactive and real-life drug safety surveillance. Simultaneously, several research groups, such as a research group in the Brigham and Women Medical Center, have come out with methodological approaches to analyzing data from different databases. One of the important features of these analytic approaches is control of confounding with data from different heterogeneous databases, and also the ability to maintain patient privacy while conducting this analysis. So these methods allow data to stay with the data custodians and to be analyzed in the common research environment so the patient privacy is not compromised, but the safety can be assessed. So given all these developments, it is hard to predict whether the number of actual studies will actually increase, but the size of the studies and the scope of the each given study will definitely expand. You could have a single study being able to assess several different safety signals in very diverse patient populations. So I think that access to these large real-time databases will eventually allow monitoring drug safety. Finally, access to large databases will enable a more comprehensive analysis and understanding of multimorbidities. And that's a really growing challenge for health systems worldwide, given the rise in aging populations with chronic conditions and multiple chronic conditions. Well, we're happy that you'll be speaking at our upcoming conference, the Scope Summit in Florida, and that will be a platform to continue these conversations. So thank you very much in advance for participating in our meeting. What are you looking forward to the most at this conference? What are you hoping to perhaps get out of this conference? Well, thank you very much for inviting me to participate. As you probably gathered from my previous answers, I'm very excited about the possibilities opening thanks to linkages of different databases. So I'm really looking forward to presentations on methodology, development, and maintaining quality standards across the heterogeneous databases, and to the ways how we can incorporate new types of data in the existing databases, especially, for example, data on patient-reported outcomes, something that is not currently being routinely collected by the existing databases. Uh, and, of course, I'm also very much looking forward to networking with colleagues from adjacent disciplines um, because often methods and approaches in one area can be successfully implemented in another. So I'm very much looking forward to that. That was Dr. Vera Ehrenstein, Associate Professor of Clinical Epidemiology at Aarhus University in Denmark. She will be speaking at our upcoming conference on Tuesday, February 24, on the subject of collaborating with the European Medicines Agency on risk minimization studies. If you would like to hear her in person, go to www.scopesummit.com for registration information and enter the key code podcast in your registration form. My name is Amit Zand, Associate Conference Producer at Cambridge Health Tech Institute. Thanks very much for listening.